You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and ask you to turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 today, and as you're turning there, hope you appreciate the work of our musicians and vocalists, all they're doing to teach us new rich songs and uh, grateful for what God is doing, not just now, but in eternity. I love those questions and then the responses, and probably my favorite response is, He is, that He is that we ended with. Whatever we need, whatever we yearn for, He is uh, that, and I trust that that you're living in light of that. As we head toward Thanksgiving, I hope that uh, you'll live in light of that song and the truth of it. Just a couple things of note. First of all, thank you for your love and uh, prayers. While I was out of uh, church last week, I wasn't skipping for the record, okay? Um, If I skip on Super Bowl Sunday, you might have legitimate grounds for that. But I will forewarn you, I think I had maybe a bit of a cold last week, and then my allergies just kicked in like crazy. I had no voice at this time last Sunday, which for some of you is like an answer to prayer. <laughs> the problem is it happened early enough I could get a, a, a substitute, and I appreciate Brother Yoder filling in and Pastor Dave in the evening as well. And so today may be a bit, there may be a few hacks and sniffles. This may be the snottiest sermon you ever hear. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. But... Uh, I've been pacing myself all week just to try to get to this hour uh, today, and appreciate many of you that encouraged me this last week. Just a couple of things of note. First of all, in your bulletin, we'll give you more details later, but on the slide you'll see, and then in your bulletin, is a new ministry that we're launching into called Inspire Counseling Ministry, and uh, this in no way means that I'm stepping down as the senior pastor of North Life Baptist Church, but it's a new ministry that we're starting uh, to provide uh, support to local churches. Uh, We'll be doing wellness weekends uh, several times in the year where Heidi and I and uh, maybe some others will serve churches in other places on a Saturday and Sunday with just sessions on practical things like anxiety, depression, um, some of those things. I gave you some details in the bulletin there, as well as providing support to pastors. Uh, I'm very concerned about those who lead the local churches and things they've navigated the last couple of years especially. So God's been leading us into that ministry, and we'll give you more details in the weeks and months to come. But to looking forward to that starting next year. And then the second thing is tonight we're having our praise and pie service. We didn't get to have that last year. And so we're excited to resume that this year. I was telling our small group this morning, last Thanksgiving, uh, on Thanksgiving, I don't know if Heidi made this connection yet or not, but she had COVID. She was under the weather and my in-laws just dropped off food through our front window of our house. It was at that stage. Can you believe that only was a year ago? They were navigating some of the unknowns and challenges, and some of you are continuing to deal with health things and lingering effects of other aspects of this last year we've had. But we're excited to resume that tonight. And so a couple things I'd ask you to do, bring a praise. I'm not preaching tonight, and so that's, that's right there, a draw. So you need to be here for that. But the, the flip side would be that now the onus is on you. We're asking you to come tonight, contribute a praise And the two areas are, one, what has God done? What's something you've seen him do in your life the last year or even two? And then what's something he's taught you? Uh, And I'd like us to get a little deeper on our testimonies tonight with that question. So read Psalm 71 and Psalm 126. Those two psalms will help prepare you for tonight. 
Psalm 71. And so bring a testimony to share, read those psalms, and then bring a pie to share. We'll have that over in uh, our fellowship hall after the service tonight uh, for our praise and pie. All right, Psalm 145, let's look, if you will, at verse number one. The psalmist says this, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now notice verse 4, which is the key verse of our study today. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. And so this morning when I look at this subject together, worshipers integrate. We began a series a few weeks ago looking at the word, scripture on worship, and today we want to look at this together, the word integrate. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, thank you for the worship. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for already what has been invested and shared in in our time together today. Uh, We would be remiss if we did not thank you for it, the privilege to corporately gather to worship you, um, what health and strength we have. We do pray for those who are out today. You would encourage and strengthen and renew them As Lord, many are even tuning in online today, I pray you would encourage them that we're thinking of them and praying for them. And Father, as we now come to this part of the service that is just uh, the summit of our worship, it's not the end or the beginning, I pray that you would help your word to resonate in our hearts, that Lord, we would see that, that this thing called worship, and as we prepare for Thanksgiving, is much bigger than us and our peers and our contemporaries. Lord, it's a faith, it's a worship that's been passed to us, and Lord, we are in the process of passing on to the next generation. Help us, Lord, to see what a key and crucial role worship plays in the transfer of our faith. May you be glorified in our study today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I wanted to show you this picture. I didn't ask my boys for permission. They probably would not have signed off on it, so I have to beg for forgiveness here. But my boys were uh, at school the other day. Um, They had a, um, they dressed up. And it was, you're supposed to dress up like uh, a a, uh, book character. It was like right to read, not right to read. What is it? Read something? Reading something with the school. And so they had them dress up as a character. And so I think Landon is Mr. Watson in the Sherlock Holmes series. He's got the cool mustache, the stash going, and Ian is uh, from the longest game ever played. There's a book uh, that's built on that uh, as well. And then our dog, you know, just had to get in, is posing perfectly there. Um, can you imagine if either yours truly or my son's every week you saw us coming to church dressed like this um, from an era gone by? In fact, not only did we dress like that, but we impose that on others. We will only affiliate with people who dress up like this. This is an era gone by, right? Especially the stash presentation or some of the other things connected. Uh, It's interesting to me as we go through life, often we get stuck at a certain stage of our walk with the Lord and often how we view it in its packaging. And I just want to say today as we begin, far too often our worship is shaped more by the unique norms of a single generation of Christianity instead of, listen to me, the range of God's word, and specifically the range of a God who has inhabited eternity past and will inherit eternity future and will include people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that we just sang about. And so I just want to encourage you today to make sure that your view of worship is 
is as narrow as the word and the spirit, but also as, as expansive as we see portrayed uh, through the word of God. Now, may I say this as a caveat before we look at our study today? Obviously, all worship must be directed by the unchanging word of God. Somebody said to me in the hallway two weeks ago, Pastor, profound thought. We have to worship the way the Bible says. That was his summary of my sermon. Was that not the, the essence of our study two weeks ago? And so it has to be directed by the word of God. Secondly, it must not be integrated with the world who worships itself. And so we're clear on that. Integration that we're going to talk about here today does not mean we pal up and we partner up with the world uh, in this uh, area of worship. May I say also it is not unity over truth in the sense that our brethren who often have strayed into ecumenicalism often package this truth. And so that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is the integration of generations and a God who is reaching the world with his grace and glory and how we can enter into that for the glory and honor of God. Everybody all right? All right, good. No, you're good, brother. Um, And so this text that we're looking at today in Psalm 145, we see, we're going to look at these verses, not at great length, but we're going to break down the text today, is what some have called the crown jewel of praise. Um, In fact, (laughs) Psalm 145 is probably the richest psalm as it relates to praise and um, and the implications of our worship. In fact, it's the last psalm that's ascribed to or uh, associated with David is the psalm alone that bears the title, A Praise. If you look at there, psalm, uh, a psalm, David's psalm of praise, a psalm of praise. Uh, it's the only one that is given that specific moniker or label. In fact, the Hebrew word that's found here is the same word in the plural that describes the entire book of psalms. It's a book of praises. Tehillah is the word there. And so this is a key psalm, not just in the book of Psalms, but in our faith and in our doctrine and in our relationship with God as we worship Him. The other day I heard someone say this, a man I respect greatly that preaches and teaches the Word faithfully. He said this, listen to this, when it comes to interpretation of Scripture, it is important to remember that we don't see things either from everywhere or from nowhere. We do see things from somewhere, and that somewhere is going to impact our interpretation. And so what I want to try to challenge us with today is to make sure we're not letting the somewhere that we live, the someplace we live, and the generation we live in to limit a broader view of worship as clearly given in our text this morning. So the question today is this, in a day of cater-to-my-era kind of worship, how do we learn to enter into and support multi generational worship. Let's talk about two integrations today that you and I must have if we're to practice biblical worship as defined in God's Word. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the fact that we must be, as God's people, integrated in our celebration. Integrated in our celebration. Now, Thanksgiving is this Thursday, right? Um, It's one of my favorite, this Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays, the build-up to Thanksgiving and then all that goes with it, and then anticipating Christmas and New Year's, just the beauty of this next month or so we enjoy. Um, But one of my memories growing up was my grandmother had a um, farmer. My my dad grew up a farmer, dairy farmer. So my grandma had in her house a dining room that she had basically was a museum to antiquity. It had a bunch of antiques in it. We ate in her kitchen. So she had kind of a the, the kitchen counters and uh, appliances were on the outside walls. And then there was just a table in the middle of her kitchen. 
And I remember when we would have Thanksgiving back in the good old days when everybody was able to gather from Georgia. My aunt lived there and uh, my uncle and, and all the cousins, and we would all come together. And I remember I was always relegated to the patio, the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Do you remember that? Did you have that? And it was down in the patio, which usually was a little cooler, and uh, you didn't have access to the gravy bowl as often as you did when you were in the kitchen. But I remember the first time, I can't remember why it happened. I don't know if someone had gone on to glory or what, but I got a seat at the adult table. I mean, I remember the strut, you know, from you bunch of kids, I'm leaving you in the dust here. And I, my grandma had uh, like linoleum that was like fake red tile. Like I, I can still visualize it. And just going up those three stairs into the kitchen was just like such an inclusive, elevating thing. I just remember that the first Thanksgiving I'm with the adults. I, I didn't know what to say. It was a new experience for me, but I just remember as a kid that being a huge deal. Can I just say to you as it relates to celebration of God, that any celebration of God who made all flesh and longs for all to be saved must be integrated or it is insufficient in its celebration. If we're only celebrating with people that are just like us or people that we only have connection with in these superficial ways... We're not able to celebrate the range and the glory and splendor of God fully as he intends. All right, let's talk about a couple of things as it relates to this celebration that must be integrated. Go to verse 1. He says, I will extol thee, O my God, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Number one, jot this there in your notes, not on the slides today, but in the bulletin. God's greatness requires our integrated celebration, his greatness. God's greatness requires us to get together with others, not just of the same kind and the same generation, but all that know God must gather uh, to celebrate a God who is so great. Why, why is he great? Well, first in verse 1, as we just read, he is infinite in his greatness. His greatness is infinite. And in verse 1, David, who is a king himself, exalts God as the king. He yields the floor to God as king. I don't know if you know what I mean by this, but we use this term a lot, worship wars. Often churches have to navigate the tumultuous season of, uh, of one generation handing off to another, and uh, worship and music style and other things often come into play. But may I submit to you humbly this morning, far too often, not always, but often, worship wars are not principled convictions upon the word, listen to me, but power plays as one generation hands off influence to the next When God is king, then our worship is submitted to him. And where we struggle with worship and why we're not able to integrate in our celebration is you're making it about your take or I'm making it about mine. What about what he wants in his worship? He is the king. And so David leads in this this emphasis upon passing on our faith and worship to the next generation on who is the king. Verse 3, we'll come back to verse 2. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Great, greatly, greatness. And so God here is is positioned and postured through the praise of David as being great. May I lovingly tell you this morning, if God is infinitely great, then his praise deserves to include more than just when your generation and my generation is in our greatness. In our twilight years, in our formative years, God is still great. When I'm the pastor of North Life Baptist Church and when I'm not, God is still great. 
when these musicians hand off the not baton but the mic to the next generation or whatever the next generation holds when they sing, he's still great. And so the God who is so great is the one to which uh, we must align ourselves so that we might worship with one another. And so he is infinite in his greatness. And that calls us to this kind of celebration. Go back to verse 2. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. So number one, God is infinite in his greatness. Number two, he has an everyday kind of greatness. So it's infinite, but it's also in every day. And so the psalmist here who wants to worship God, not just in eternity, but also practically and urgently in the present tense, calls us to this kind of worship. If God is great, listen to this statement, key statement this morning. If God is great every day, then his praise must vibrantly outlive your day and my day. And the only way that is possible, listen to me, is when generations overlap today. I want God worship tomorrow and the next day and the day beyond my last day and the day beyond your last day. And the only way that is possible is when we are able to gather together and worship as God has intended, not in autonomy, not in individualism, but in the assembly of the saints. So the question I would ask you before we move on is this, have you thought about who, how, and if God's greatness will be still celebrated when you're done and when I'm done? May I submit to you today, we have more to say on that, we have more say in that than often we're willing to own. Quick illustration of that. I remember the first concert I went to as a child, it was a Southern Gospel concert with a group called Greater Vision. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but uh, dad, mom, I don't remember, we weren't huge Southern Gospel junkies that I remember, but for some reason, I was in elementary school, my mom and my dad and us, we went to a little Wesleyan church between Butler and Belleville. I grew up in that Clear Fork School District, Um, and I remember going in and hearing them and Anyway, so that brought back some memories I was thinking about. But just the other day, Gerald uh, Wolf, who is the, the lead for that group, he's still, as far as I know, still serving with that group. He posted a quick video of himself playing. I saw the little video playing on an old upright piano. Um, and then he kind of explained the story behind it. He said this, stopped by to see mom last week and played a few measures on the piano I learned to play on many, many years ago. And then he said this, listen to this. Mom still keeps the piano tuned. Still tuned. Is your heart still tuned? I don't know if his mom plays. I don't know if she's able to play or has ever been able to play, but she still has it ready for the next generation. And so if our God is so big and great and infinite and yet everyday glorious, we must be a part of making sure we're worshiping and bringing others into that worship. All right, go to verse 4 now. And here would be the kind of the, the pivotal moment in the text that we'll unpack for the rest of our time. Verse 4, one generation, when we get a hold of, and those verses get a hold of us in verses 1 to 3, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Number two, jot this down. So God's greatness requires our integrated celebration. Number two, God's activity. So his greatness, number two, his activity, what he does requires our integrated celebration. (laughs) There is an uplifting response to God's activity when we gather together that cannot be experienced any other way. And I just want to encourage you, make make it a priority to be here tonight. I don't know what you have going the rest of the day, 
but I love to hear the range of generations sharing what God has done in their hearts. And it's different for someone in their 70s or 80s than someone who's just able to hold the mic and get their thoughts together as a young person and share what God's doing at their stage and everything in between that. The range of what God can do, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do requires us to be together to fully appreciate that. One author I was reading said this, in endeavor to lift our own souls by our own, I'm sorry, to endeavor to lift our own souls by our own strength is as absurd as to attempt to lift our bodies by grasping hold of our own clothes. You tried that and it's worked for you? I think many of us, the reason we're not up on God and believing He is powerful and He's doing some things is because we're too alone. God's doing things. God's at work in this room and in the hearts and homes and lives and bodies and minds in this room. He is at work. But we have to come together and regularly celebrate what God has done. And to experience all that He's doing and to appreciate it fully, we must learn to worship together. All right, look at verse 4 now through 7. Number 1, notice we're to celebrate His past activity. So what activity of God requires our integrated celebration? First, what He has done in the past, His past activity. Brother Josh and I have talked about this, and I, I, I've been enjoying the new songs we're learning, and even going back to the doxology we've been ending our services with during this series. One of the things he and I have talked about that I think is a wise uh, point of action is a few hymns, no matter what new music we're learning, provide an anchor to a service. It's very easy to let a worship time just soar in a way that's too emotional or too contemporary. And by that, I don't mean contemporary as a style, but it's just all about how I feel and what I have and what I want from God instead of some of the rich song, crown him king of kings, crown him lord of lords. And so we need that anchor of the past in our worship of a God who is working in the present and in the future. And so it, it grounds us as we celebrate together what God has done in the, in the past. And so verse 4, the key verse of the psalm, God's plan for the propagation of, of His people knowing Him, His greatness, His glory, is for one generation to praise His works to another. God has set it up that way. And where we're failing with the next generation, and maybe where we failed with previous generations, is we've forgotten to do that. I would challenge you today, when's the last time you've sang with your spouse, you've sang with your family, not just in this setting? Um, when's the last time we, are we worshiping with those who come after us about the things that God has done in the rearview mirror? We need to uh, give ourselves more to that. One author said this, the church is old and current. We stand, <laughs> excuse me, we stand on the shoulders of saints who've gone before our worship liturgy should include new and old expressions. If you don't love that, learn to love it. It's important. And so we need both the past and the present for this transition to occur. All right, verse 5. I will speak of the glory, uh, glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. We see in verse 5 here, David speaking to and referencing the majesty of God. And notice David says, I'm not going to delegate that to others. I want to be a part of that. David as king could have hired someone or assigned someone, and he had those who helped him in the, leading the worship of Israel. But he says, I am choosing to worship uh, this God. I as king want to give him my praise. No lesser subject would David allow to worship God more than himself. 
And I'm grateful for the worship in this church, but may I challenge especially the men in the room this morning who are too tired or too sophisticated to sing in church, you're killing us. You're killing the passing of our faith to the next generation. Give it something. Live out this worship. Let your kids and your grandkids this Thanksgiving see you worshiping God, worshiping what he has done in our lives. All right, verse 6. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I, David says, will declare thy greatness. Verse 7, they shall, utterly, they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. David here says that he, now he's made this five-fold promise to God in verses 1 to 5, and now he says, I want all men to abundantly remember God. To abundantly remember God. I don't know how you feel about the future, um, every Thanksgiving that passes, every Christmas that passes, it's amazing to me. If you had told me two years ago or three years ago, this time of the year, what we, have, what we would have gone through these last couple of years, I, I don't even know if I could have gotten my head around it, let alone how it still impacts and lingers and the challenges. And um, I think of especially some in our church ranks that we weren't even able to have, weren't even able to have a proper service for them uh, when they passed away. And just everything we've been through the last few years, things are always changing. And as we look to the future, if we're not careful, anxiety overwhelms us. And the other day I came across this statement that I think applies as it relates to worship. The author said this, the antidote to anxiety about the future is not to discern the future, but to remember the past. Instead of straining your gaze forward, look over your shoulder and rehearse God's faithfulness to you and to all generations. Looking back and worshiping God about it, helps us deal with the future. It helps us move forward into whatever God has for us in the, in the future tense. And so may we live in light of the activity of God in the area of the past. All right, look at you on that verse 8, and there's a pivot here. Notice the past is the reference of verses 5 to 7. Now verse 8, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Number two, jot this down. God's activity requires our integrated celebration, not just because of past activity. Number two, present activity. God is faithful in the present tense. You do know that this moment right here, as you look at me and I look at you, I'm sorry you have to look at this every week, except last week. You came back this week. Maybe he won't be here again, okay? Um, but as we're in this moment, you do know this is an absolute miracle. The breath the heart's beating, all the brokenness that we've all navigated, the fact we're even here is an absolute miracle. We have his word. We just sang songs that are just anthems about, they were, they're more true than we can even process today. This is an absolute miracle because of God's present activity. And so we need to point that out to the next generation and invite them into the celebration of how good God not only has been, but he is today and he will be Tomorrow, the present activity. It's interesting here in verse 8, this, this wording, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great mercy. Does that sound familiar to you? You know that that verse occurs over and over in Scripture? I gave you just a few examples of it. If you want to jot them down, you can look at the references later. But Exodus 34, 6, Nehemiah 9.17, Psalm 86.15, Psalm 103.8, so a couple other times in the book of Psalms, Joel 2.13, and Jonah 4.2. Does that not include more than just a few generations? 
all said the same thing about God, that God in their day was worthy of worship. Nehemiah did it, and Joel did it, and even Jonah. We see it over and over, the, the celebration of God. And so if it was good enough for these different generations, then we should be able with the next or the previous generation worship this same God. All right, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, notice that, to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Verse 10. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Notice in verses 9 and 10 this, this goodness of God that is extended not just to a select few, but to all, to all people, to all His works, to all His saints. Therefore, God requires and wants and yearns for us to worship Him altogether. I think one of the things I love about that song we just learned today is just the allness of that. That everything and everyone is worshiping the same God. That's what God desires. And so all of God's works praise Him. That's the rest of creation. We alone as His people are the ones that choose whether we will praise Him or not. All right, I want to show you a brief video. This gives me a bit of a vocal break as well. That's not the reason we're showing it today. But the Carnies and I were at a conference a few months ago, and uh, there's a little segment I want to show you about this idea of worship being integrated. And the man that you're going to see is much smarter than yours truly and probably even smarter than you. Uh, his name is Dr. Jeremy Begbie, and he has done a lot of study in um, this field. And so I, wanted, I was going to try to summarize what he said, but thought it was best coming from his lips. So guys, if we can grab the lights for a minute, I think you'll see the video better. Don't go to sleep. This is not the end at all. We've got another hour at least. But I hope this video will help you just appreciate the significance of worship uh, that needs to be integrated. Lastly, a third thing, and I think most remarkable of all, singing together generates difference without boundaries. two-part invention by Bach, at any one point, two notes are sounding together, and we hear those two notes together. So what? Well, think for a moment about the contrast between hearing two notes and seeing two things. Imagine a painter with a pot of red paint and a pot of yellow paint. She puts a red blob on the canvas she lets that dry and paints over that with yellow. The yellow hides the red. Or if the paint is wet, they merge into orange. It's amazing. What a crowd we've got here today. <laughs> she can't see red and yellow in the same place on a canvas as red and yellow. They'll either hide each other or they'll merge into orange. In the world we see, we can't have two things in the same space at the same time and see them as two things. That's because each has its bounded space. They can't both be in the same space and seen as two different things. They will hide each other or merge into something else. Think for a moment about that as a picture of the way we relate to other people. 
Each of us must have our bounded space. And if we're going to be ourselves, if we're going to be free, we must be free as far as possible from other people. This is one of Western culture's most cherished theories of freedom. We think freedom is essentially about being freed from others, about expanding and preserving my bounded territory over against others. On this model, of course, the more free you are, the less free someone else is going to be. You can't be free together. It's a zero-sum world. The rich can only be free at the expense of the poor, men at the expense of women, the powerful at the expense of the vulnerable, Israelis at the expense of Palestinians, or the other way around. Territory. Now, is that what Jesus means in John 8 when he talks about the Son making you free? There's an element of truth, but it can't be the heart of the matter. But the world we hear is very different. That note that you hear fills the whole of the space you hear. It doesn't occupy a bounded location it fills the whole of your oral space. You don't say it is here, but not there. Let's add another note. That note, that second note, also fills the whole of the space you hear, but you hear it as different. That's one of the most remarkable things about hearing notes. They can be inside each other, yet you hear them as quite different. And with that, not, let's not forget another remarkable thing about, well, sounding strings in this case. If I hold this string open by pressing down this key but not sounding the note, so that string is now open, ready to vibrate, and I strike the key one octave below, I have set off that upper string. It makes no sense to say the lower string competes with the upper one or has to have space or overthrows the upper one. The lower string frees the upper one to be the string it was created to be. Those with ears to hear, let them hear. Isn't that good? It's a great analogy um, that illustrates this idea of integrated in celebration. So I just encourage you to think on where that comes to bear for you, where you being open and not, again, as it relates to worldliness or uh, abdicating on doctrine, but where can we be open uh, to allow worship to be all God wants it to be? All right, now let's go to the second half of our study today, and let's look at verse 11. So integrated first in celebration. Number two, we need to be integrated in our citizenship. And this is interesting to me how David clearly transitions here in verse 11 uh, to a second thing that we must be integrated around in our worship. First in celebration, number two in our citizenship. Um, one of the things I've observed, and I've talked to several about this, but it's interesting to me, you can tell, I can tell, and probably you can as well, especially if you have traveled a bit, when you're around someone who is well-traveled and someone who is a homebody, and I don't mean that in any way in a disparaging way, but just you stay close to home. 
Um, the other day I heard this statement, and uh, I've heard it before, but I think it's, uh, it's a reminder to us as it relates to citizenship. Someone said this, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all of one's lifetime. You do know not everybody lives like we live in Wayne County, right? Um, and we have folks from other parts of the world that are even a part of our local assembly. They could give you a ton of material on that. And sometimes if we're not careful, we forget that our citizenship, listen to me, is in a bigger kingdom than the good old USA, and I love this country, or some other smaller segment of it. We must be open uh, to those who share in that uh, same kingdom. And so in verse 10 where he says, and thy saints shall bless thee, you do know saints there is including a wide range of people, <laughs> people groups and places. And um, if we broadly using word ethnicities, there's, there, there's a range there in that all will praise uh, the Lord. And so there's only one king. You do know that, right? And all worshipers one day will worship only him. Those that we thought were too uptight or too loose, those that, that, that maybe were stuck on only their generation, all of us will worship one king. And so if that is true, with God's help, we should be able to figure out how to worship him together. All right, let's talk about a couple of things quickly in the time we have left as it relates to integration in our citizenship. Number one, God's endurance requires our integrated citizenship, God's endurance. And I would give you a couple of evidences or manifestations of this endurance uh, that are mentioned in these verses. Number one, in verse number 11, as we just read, he says, they shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. Notice to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious, here it is, majesty of his kingdom. Number one, jot this down, his endurance is majestic. It, it has a majesty to it that requires us to worship him together. Um, I like corny jokes, cheesy jokes, so sorry for this. But do, have you ever heard the, the fact that John, the, do you know that John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh, that they have something in common? Have you heard this joke? The, John the Baptist, Winnie the Pooh. Their middle name is the same. <laughs> I know that's a, that's a groaner, right? Some of you are just cringing when you hear that. Do you know that our God is the God? He is singular. Did you know that our king is the king? Some of you are still smirking. Thank you. There's a few of you out there. I appreciate that. Some of you are like, wow, he's on some meds or something today. <laughs> um, I am. But anyway, uh, God is the God. And so if, if he alone is majestic, then who, okay, so you're going to worship someone else. I'm going to worship someone else. Who's that going to be? Uh, there's only one that's as majestic and glorious as our God. And so David invites us, the psalmist invites us, and we ought to do the same because there's only one, the God. And so here in verse 11, he talks about not his own kingdom, but the kingdom of his God. Verse 12, as we just read, God's own people then are called to share with the rest of mankind the greatness of his deeds and the perfection of his rule. That is our job to do, to testify of that to others around us. Verse 13, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. There's the generations again. In this customary phrase that's found earlier in, chapter, or in Psalm 33 and verse 11, Psalm 45 and verse 17, 49 and verse 11, 61, 6, and over and over in the book of Psalms, this phrase 
is used to contrast the kingdoms of men, which shall cease, by the way, and the enduring kingdom of our God, this God who just goes on and on and on. And so may we not worship the fickle kingdoms of this world. May we worship this eternal majesty that we find only in God's kingdom. <clears throat> you and I today, by our lonesome, are not able to do justice to the majesty of our God. We're not. God's bigger. God's grander. God's beyond our brains and our hearts and our lives. He's, he's more majestic in that. So listen to me. Within the range of God's word and spirit, I need to be open to worshiping him with anyone God sends my way. Not again, undercutting doctrine, not undercutting the spirit's leadership in our lives, but God is worthy of that kind of worship. Psalm 111 verse 1, praise you the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. We're to worship him in congregation. All right, <laughs> verse 14. <coughs> verse, <laughs> verse 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all that are to be that be bowed down. Number two, not only is it majestic, it's sustaining. <coughs> it is <laughs> sustaining. In verse 14, we see the Lord is preserving, he's sustaining, he's helping the, those who are under pressure. I'll get it, stick with me here. <coughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking about this the other day, um, <coughs> excuse me, for some in the room, the holidays are not what they are to some of us, right? <coughs> the cheery red cups at the coffee shop actually are a reminder of a sorrowful season. Some of you in this room have lost someone that you wish you could celebrate Thanksgiving with, someone you wish you could celebrate Christmas with, and so this season is a mixed season. In fact, <laughs> the thought of not seeing their loved one again uh, can make them <laughs> just shut down in seasons like this. Um, <laughs> Josh and I have talked about this. Laments are a key part of the church life, aren't they? I think people, excuse me, people who are broken, people who are discouraged should be able to come here and enter into worship. Sometimes our worship is too happy. It's too, I'm good. Thanks, Josh. Our, our, happy, our, our worship is, is too upbeat in a way that's out of touch with real life and real space. And so we need to make sure that our worship includes those who are going through difficult. God is a sustaining God. All right, verse 15. Let me get up cough drop here. <laughs> Verse 15. <coughs> the eyes of all that wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season, thou openest, listen to this, thou openest thy hand and satisfies the desire of, <coughs> of every living thing. And I'm asking God to do that for me right now. Number two, jot this down. Not only is he giving to us preservation, we'll get to the next main point, but just jot down these couple of subpoints. So he's great in his preservation. That's verse 14. Number two, he's great in his provision. Great in his provision. Think about, <laughs> think about the logistics of this with God. He's providing food to all of the world. Can you imagine the logistics of this? And yet for God, it's as simple as just opening his hand. <coughs> if I said to, said to you, there's 110,000 in Wayne County, 
tomorrow you're in charge of meals. Just one, let's say just lunch tomorrow. Can you imagine the, <laughs> the logistical nightmare of that? God can feed all flesh by just opening his hand. That's how big, that's how great, that's how glorious our God is. And so his sustaining endurance should cause us to worship together. And by the way, he's not just doing that for you or for me. He's doing that <laughs> for all of us at the same time. The breath that's a little shallow this morning in my chest and the breath that's coming from you today, God's doing that at the same time. Why, why can't we then enter into let all that hath breath praise, praise the Lord? Well, why can't we see that? <laughs> why can't we share in that for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Somebody was talking about this idea of preparing for heaven and its worship, and I, I want you to listen to these words if I can get them out. If your church is looking for the perfect model for how to craft your worship services, I love this. Look to the place where they have been worshiping for all time and will continue for all eternity. <coughs> Heaven is the expert on this subject. Listen to these words. So what does heaven look like? <coughs> we first see in heaven every tribe, <coughs> nation, which is correct. <coughs> but it is not only all nations, but all nations from all time. Listen to these words. So let me paint the picture. You'll be worshiping with your father, your, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, and on and on. And then he said this, by having multi-generational worship moments here on earth, we are preparing ourselves for what will be experienced for all eternity. I think that is going to be one of the most amazing things about heaven is I'm worshiping there with Moses. And not just my father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. I'm talking, I'm sorry, the Moses, okay? He's, he's a Moses and a very important Moses in my life. I'm talking the Moses. You know what I mean? The range of that gathering that just gives, gives God a chance to get greater, <laughs> greater glory. And so our multi-generational worship here is only a taste of that and a preparation of that for the eternity uh, that awaits us. There's no good old days in God's kingdom. There aren't. There are no good old days in God's kingdom. His kingdom has always been and always will be. And we have a little part in that. Don't forget that, beloved. Let our worship be open where God has instructed us to have it be so. All right, <laughs> number two and lastly. You're like, thank you. Verse 17, I am too. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his Works. Lastly, jot this down. God's deliverance requires our integrated citizenship, his deliverance. So first, his, his endurance. Number two, his deliverance. It's funny to me how we all have this take on our world in the present tense. So if I were to ask you, give me the one thing that everybody needs to change, do or stop doing that will fix all this. I guarantee you got something, because I do, like that I think is like the magic bullet or the antidote for if, we, if everybody would just change their thinking or stop doing this and start doing this, man, we could get out of whatever mess we're in today. And the tendency in, the, in that is to make that in a very superficial way. Uh, we have connection cards in our church that we use to communicate, where you can let us know per request or if you're visiting, and many of you utilize that. 
The other day I heard a guy who said this, my pastor is praying about getting rid of the worship ensemble and buying an organ. This is his statement, buying an organ. He has to. I put it on a prayer card, so he has to pray for that. <laughs> you follow that drift there? Isn't it funny how, like, can you imagine walking in next Sunday and we have, man, a huge organ playing as you enter? That, that, that served a purpose, and there are beautiful churches that use that on a regular basis. But it's funny how we get stuck on one thing. Either I wish that weren't here, or I wish that was here. When really, in reality, what aligns us, listen to me, is not those things. It's this fact. God has delivered us. We were sinners, and God sent his son. That's what draws us together. It is his deliverance that we rally around. It's the song of the redeemed, not the song of your whatever uh, preference or perspective. And so it is his deliverance that causes us and calls us all into worship. All right, two things under that. Number one, it is a trustworthy deliverance. This deliverance that God offers to us is trustworthy. And we see the psalmist just kind of for a moment here in verse 17 and 18 saying, God's worth trusting on this. His deliverance is like no other. His deliverance is worthy of your faith and confidence. And he says in verse 17, his ways are righteous. His works are holy. Notice they're plural. God's doing them over and over and over again. God is a fixed point of reference, but he manifests himself in human time and space in individualized and unique ways in each of our lives. There are things God's done in your life and ways that he's worked in your life he hasn't in mind. And I love celebrating that together and being open to hearing and receiving what God has done in each of our lives. Verse 18, he's not just great in his ways and works, but in his, his condescension, his availability to his people. Did you see that in verse 18? He's nigh, he's near. He's, he's approximated, he's close to them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. So truth is still there, but it's calling on him, and as we do so, he comes close to us. Here's the key tonight, today as it relates to this integration. It's not about you and me getting closer, either in our philosophy or our practice of worship. It's the fact that when you and I are doing it God's way, he comes into that moment. He is ultimately who we're trying to integrate with or to let into and enter into the praise that pleases and honors him. Psalm 22, 3, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. He lives in the places where God's people praise him. It is, it is worth the effort to praise him together. All right, verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Number two, responsive deliverance. <laughs> so it's worthy of our trust. Number two, it should evoke in us this gratitude that he's willing to listen. I am never ceased to be amazed that God hears my prayers and he answers them. He responds to his people. And not just to you and everybody like you, but everyone who comes to him as is described here uh, in the text. He is a responsive God. He is not the God of the deist. He didn't just wind the world up and then step back and watch it unwind. He is a personal, intimate God. Verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. The all, the all. You see, he is faithful to those who love him. He will judge all who defy him. Uh, he is faithful. 
I don't know why I'm thinking about it. I don't know if it's just the holidays. You start thinking about family and memories. The other day I came across this list, and if you want me to send it to you, I will. I don't have time to get into it at length. But somebody did the math on, for us to be here today, here's our history. Every one of us, this is true of us. This might be why there's only how many degrees of separation between us. We may be more related than you think we are. But here's the, so in order to be born, you need two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 second greats, goes all the way down, 2,048 ninth great-grandparents. That's how many people it takes for me just to be here today. How many different people? (coughs) And then he brought this application, which I thought good. So to be born today, you need 4,094 ancestors over the last 400 years. Think for a moment how many struggles, how many battles, how many difficulties, how much sadness, how much happiness, how, much lo- how many love stories, how many expressions of hope for the future did your ancestors have to undergo for you to exist in this present moment? We're, we're, beloved, we are not uniquely suffering. People keep saying these crazy times. When has it not been crazy? I know it's been a bit crazier maybe in our part of the world and in our neck of the woods lately in some ways. But there have been people of past generations, listen to me, that God has delivered. And if he did in the past, he can do it today. And he can do it tomorrow. Are you confident in this God? And are you celebrating about it so much you celebrate with anyone around you experiencing that same deliverance? We all, listen to me, get divine deliverance from the same God, Right? The God that got me out of the jam is the one that got you out of the jam, or the God that brought you through a trial or me through a trial. It's the same God. Why am I not willing to worship with you and you with me and us with others that God is daily delivering? We've forgotten who our deliverer is. Because if I focus on human deliverers, then you and I are at odds on some things. But if God is the deliverer, we can worship him together. That is what unifies us. I love the Psalm, Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. We have a deliverer and if we have a singular deliverer, we can worship him together. As I mentioned last Sunday, I had no voice. I mean, literally, it was just, you know, lips move, moving and a little squeaky whatever coming out and people laughing at me, I'm sure, behind my back. Um, <laughs> a few of you tried to call me and I just, sorry, I got nothing. But anyway, um, we talk about vocal range. Have you ever heard that? Wow, listen to their range. Um, the same conference that clip is from, they, there were a couple singers where they could be here and then be here, literally in one note, uh, in one transition, just the range that they have. Vocal range is basically, it's a reference to the distance or how high or low the human voice will phonate, where you actually can generate and hold a sound with your, with your vocal capacity. Here's just a thought I would have for you tonight, today, this morning. Should we not define worship on God's terms? And I think one of the things that we often fail in this area of worship is we're focused more on, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be, on doctrine and and the associations of songs and lyrics and, and artists. Instead of God's also focused on the range. Here's my question to you. Are your kids still singing the hymns of the faith? Are you living out a life that's at least fostering that? Are your grandkids 
catching. You know what? We have the same God, your generation and mine. I can't figure out my phone. Would you help me with it? That kind of difference, but we have the same God. Uh, is there that kind of relationship between those and around you? And are you ever worshiping with someone that's a little different than you? Uh, I think we have to be very careful not to focus so much on the preferences and the styles, though those all have their place, and forgetting about the range that we see when we look at the anthems of eternity. All right, let me give you this last thought and we'll finish. I heard the other day an article, an author was talking about the difference between a church and a cult. This is a hard truth, but listen, follow the thought to the conclusion if you would. Churches hold to a broad consensus of orthodox beliefs while cults invariably elevate a small number of uniquely unorthodox beliefs. Churches tend to foster a context in which leaders are accountable to their congregation, while cults tend to foster a context in which leaders demand mindless obedience. Churches expect loyalty to the word of God, while cults expect loyalty to the words of a charismatic leader. And listen to these words. And then there's this. Churches tend to reflect unity amid diversity, while cults tend to display uh, unity premised upon uniformity. Yet a little honest self-examination will probably reveal that we all have a cultist lurking within ourselves. We may pay lip service to diversity, but when it comes down to it, we find that our natural instinct is toward uniformity, a uniformity to our emphases, our own convictions, and our own preferences. This North Life Baptist Church is a church. Every faithful church of Jesus Christ is a church. We are not a cult, brethren. That means we need unity uh, in the midst of diversity. Again, within the bounds and parameters of Scripture. Now look here in verse 21, and we're done. He says this as he ends this psalm, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and notice this, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. All flesh. Jot this down and look at it later in your own time. The word all happens, occurs 14 times in just this little psalm. 14 times. All. 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 The emphasis upon worshipers being integrated. And so the speaker here opens the invitation, not just to the saved and redeemed and to the Jews, but to the world at large as he worships the one true God. My office, which is just behind you, uh, the other day was invaded by a bunch of our little munchkin cleaners. Uh, this is Annabelle, Olivia, Jovi, and Brenna. Four of our gals were cleaning my office. And one of the moms sent me a picture of it. Can I just say to you, that's a cute picture, and I'm grateful for them serving in our church. But you do know this is the future of North Life Baptist Church, right? And the guy that sits in that black chair that they're trying to clean up after, someday I'm, I'm passing on and every one of us in this room, is our worship keeping these gals in mind, their generation and the generations to come? And are we including them in our worship? Are we being faithful to worship in an integrated fashion as defined by Scripture? Psalm 35, 18 says, I will give, <laughs> give thee thanks in a great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Who is the much people? Who are you to be worshiping with? Who am I to be worshiping with for the glory and honor of God? I'll give you this last statement. We'll pray. A pastor friend of mine said this, it is selfish, it is selfish for any generation to demand that every other generation sing only their songs. 
it is selfish. Because someday, things move forward, and may God help us to be a part of passing it on to the next generation. Here's the question, we're done. Will you allow God to shape your worship by allowing it to be more integrated in celebration and in citizenship? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness today.